And thank you, Jesse, uh, very much. Um, some of us volunteers are called race marshals. I will be a race marshal. You can address me as such at the day of the race. Uh, I am very excited about the International Justice Mission, and, and uh, I'm glad I get to share one thing that Jesse didn't say, is last year they raised over $20,000. So that's pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to run or walk, you can just give them a check. That's okay, because they'll take it, and they'll be glad to. So um, today we are uh, in a series in First Peter, and uh, it's the, the title of the series, for those of you who have been with us, and if this is your first time, is uh, When Life Brings Adversity, and we are in the book of First Peter. And uh, so if you would like a Bible, uh, if you'd like to use a Bible, uh, just raise your hands because uh, our ushers will be glad to hand you one. If you don't have one, we will be in the text and you will need to see it. So um, feel free. Now, every week we provide Bibles. You can pick one up when you come in. Um, when you're done with it, you can just lay it on the table in the back. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, you can have one. You can just take it home. But anytime, that's what we have these here for. We want people to uh, see the text. So we're going to be in First Peter chapter 4. In his challenging book entitled Radical by David Platt, it was written in 2010, um, David Platt writes about an event he uh, experienced not long ago. He says, imagine all the blinds closed on the windows of a dimly lit room. Twenty leaders from different churches in the area sat in a circle on the floor with their Bibles open. Some of them had sweat on their foreheads after walking for miles to get there. Others were dirty from the dust in the villages from which they had set out on their bikes early in the morning. Now think about where we're, we are right now. You know, it's kind of muggy outside. We had a little bit of rain earlier, but look where we are. This is pretty nice. Air conditioning, uh, pretty comfortable. He goes on to say, they had gathered in secret. They had intentionally come to the place at different times throughout the morning so as not to draw attention to the meeting that was occurring. They lived in a country in Asia where it is illegal for them to gather like this. If caught, they could lose their land, their jobs, their families, or their lives. And he goes on to say, I listened as they began sharing stories of what God was doing in their churches. One man sat in the corner. He had a strong frame. He served as a head of security, so to speak. Whenever a knock was heard on the door or a noise was made outside the window, everyone in the room would freeze in tension as a brother would go to make sure everything was okay. As he spoke, his tough appearance soon revealed a tender heart. Some of the people in my church have been pulled away by a cult, he said. This particular cult is known for kidnapping believers, taking them to isolated locations and torturing them. Brothers and sisters have their tongues cut cut out of their mouths, is not uncommon. As he shared about the dangers his church members were facing, tears welled up in his eyes. I'm hurting, he said. And I need God's grace to lead my church through their, these attacks. A woman on the outside of the room spoke up next. Some of the members in my church were recently confronted by government officials. She continued, they threatened their families, saying that if they did not stop gathering to study the Bible, they were going to lose everything they had. She asked for prayer, saying, I need to know how to lead my church to follow Christ, even when it costs them everything. 
He goes on to describe a prayer meeting that he was overwhelmed to be in the presence that when this group got up off the floor, they had been in a circle and there was just a circle of tears. They left where they had been praying. He says he goes on to describe men and women that are risking everything to follow Christ. Men like Gian, an Asian doctor who left his successful uh, health clinic and now risks his life and the lives of his wife and two kids in order to provide impoverished villages with medical care, secretly training an entire network of house church leaders. Women like Lynn who teaches on a university campus where it is illegal to spread the gospel. She meets in secret with college students to talk about the claims of Christ, though she could lose her livelihood for doing so. Teenagers like Shan and Ling, who have been sent out from house churches in their villages to undergo intensive study and preparation for taking the gospel to parts of Asia where there are no churches. Ling said, listen to this, I have told my family that I will likely never come back home. I'm going to hard places to make the gospel known, and it is possible that I will lose my life in the process. Shan added, but our families understand. Our moms and dads have been in prison for their faith, and they have taught us that Jesus is worthy of all our devotion. We could just pray and close right now there are christians in asia there and other country other places other than asia uh, who face persecution for trying to meet on sunday morning they know firsthand what it means to suffer for christ when they read first peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 9 it encourages them and it gives them hope and re reread it and we find it difficult because we're not sure if it it encourages us or helps us because living in the u.s most of us christians suffer very little for being a christian when peter wrote uh, first peter as i mentioned uh last week he, he wrote this in around 63 a.d he wrote it as a survival manual Survival for persecution and sometimes torture. So, First uh, Peter chapter four verse twelve. Follow in your outline. We have an outline in your program that you can uh, take notes in. Don't be surprised by suffering. That's where Peter begins in verse twelve. Don't be surprised by suffering. Here, here's what he says, dear friends. Verse twelve. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. He says he was preparing them in 63 A.D. for suffering. Don't be surprised. Why? Because Jesus told them already that. They could just expect some suffering. Let me just uh, remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. You can just listen here. Jesus said, this is a sermon on the mount. This is very early, first year in his ministry. Blessed are you when people insult you because uh, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus told his followers right off the bat that they could expect some hard times, some difficult times, some suffering 
just for following him. Don't be surprised. It goes with the territory. Don't be surprised. But God is not surprised. God is not uh, rocked by any uh, trials or difficulty or persecution. And uh, the first thing I just want to remind us of is that good people do suffer. Good people do suffer. That's always been true. It's nothing new. Job suffered for following the true and living God. David was persecuted by Saul, the king. Israelites were persecuted and suffered under the hands of the Egyptians. Elijah was persecuted by Queen Jezebel. The Apostle Paul was beaten and run out of several towns just for being a Christian. And uh, good people do suffer. You know, that's a great question. People, why do good people suffer? Well, it's a quite a complicated question. I don't always have the answer for that. But it has been the norm. It is not unusual. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he's, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's saying this is just the norm. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, everyone who wants to live a godly life, just expect there's going to be some persecution. Have you ever suffered for Christ? I haven't suffered much. You know, sometimes um, we get snubbed. Sometimes people might laugh at us. Um, sometimes on the job, you know, we get, you know, people don't want us to advance or something like that. That can happen because we're Christians or because of a, the stand we've made, a public stand. Sometimes we get snubbed. Um, because sometimes it's because of a stand on moral purity. Sometimes it's because we won't party with our friends and colleagues um, at the same level that they like to party. Um, I've never been beaten or tortured. And Paul said it's normal. We live in a very unusual situation. And American Christians have lived this way for over 200 years. We do not experience what millions in the rest of the world experience for being followers of Christ. Um, if we follow Christ, will we always be safe? The answer is no. Please understand that. If we follow Christ, we will not always be Safe. We will always be secure, but not necessarily safe. Um, we should not be surprised by suffering or um, persecution. Jesus suffered. We know that. Matthew chapter 26, verses 38 and 39. We looked at this uh, close to Easter. Um, and this is in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. It was the night before his death. It was the night he was arrested. And he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And if you remember, if you were here, um, notice this passage. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who never sinned, was overwhelmed by sorrow. 
the strongest human being was overwhelmed by sorrow. You may be overwhelmed sometime. And you'd be like Jesus. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he asked his disciples to stay and watch. Verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell to his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may the cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And what was the cup that he was talking about? What he, was, he was talking about the sacrifice he would make. The, the wrath of God being poured out on him to pay the penalty for the sin of the entire world. For your sin and for my sin. He talked, that was the cup. And he, wanted, he asked God, take it away. But, here's the bottom line. Not as I will, but as you will, as the Father wills. There's a lot you and I can learn about this, about all of life right here. Not as I will, but as the Father wills. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 42 He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And again, and Jesus is processing this. Jesus lived without sin, but he is processing what he is facing. And uh, he's uh, he's talking to the father about it. He's he's being honest with the father about this. And uh, again, he submits to the father's will before he faces suffering, before uh, he's going to be uh, beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Peter, this is a passage we've already looked at, and Peter reminds us, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That includes suffering. He's given us an example so that when we face suffering, we can follow. This is a survival manual for suffering and for persecution. And you and I haven't experienced much of it. You know, sometimes somebody laughs at us, makes fun of us. So. Don't be surprised by suffering. Number two on your outline, develop a biblical perspective on suffering. And this may be the most important thing that you hear today. Uh, Develop a theology of suffering. This is definitely not a health wealth gospel where everything is about prosperity and you having a good life. Develop a biblical perspective on suffering. Verses 13 through 16. And uh, I just want to say, in America, we often have a false view about suffering. I would say it's false doctrine. We expect we are entitled to a good life if we're good people. And verse 13, suffering for Christ is a cause to rejoice. Suffering for Christ is a cause to rejoice. Look at verse 13. Peter writes, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Rejoice, he's saying, if you get to suffer. So that you may be overjoyed because you've suffered. Um, 
This is definitely about suffering as a Christian. The glory to be revealed refers to the second coming of Christ when Jesus is revealed from heaven. This is the book of Revelation. And um, this is what the whole book of Revelation is about, by the way. It is the revelation, and there's only one that it looks forward to, and it's in Revelation chapter 19. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rejoice that you that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, for us, suffering does not seem like a reason to rejoice. We do not understand this. We have not experienced this. It goes totally against human nature. Yet Peter instructs us. God instructs us to rejoice. Scripture is saying this is a cause to rejoice. Also, it's about understanding the big picture. Uh, Yes, suffering is about real pain, but it's about seeing the eternal perspective. There is an eternal scheme of things to all of life. Um, Suffering is temporary, and eternity is forever. And um, Scripture is uh, clear. The book of Revelation talks about Um, There's a time coming and eternal life is eternal. If you're a follower of Christ, you have eternal life and eternal life is eternal. There is a time coming when there's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. And that's way bigger than what we deal with day to day. And it requires a faith to look beyond the immediate. The early church got it. The church in Asia gets it today. But we have an entirely different experience. Uh, Jesus understood this big picture. The writer of Hebrews gives us these instructions uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And the writer of Hebrews says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy... That just goes against our grain, doesn't it? Suffering, what, what is that about joy? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy? It was the other side. Jesus had a glimpse of the other side. He knew that it was about eternal redemption. He knew what it would purchase for you if he suffered. He was willing to do the will of the Father For the sake of being restored with the Father. Going back to heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer is saying, look at Jesus. I'll tell you what. The persecuted church in Asia knows this verse. So that they don't grow weary, or lose heart. Uh, The Apostle James taught this also, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. A lot of us know this. We quote it a lot sometimes when we go through difficult times. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And here James makes this easy to apply to us, trials of many kinds. Not just persecution or suffering for your faith, but trials of many kinds. Maybe... um, Health issues, facing cancer. Maybe it's family issues. Maybe it's going through a divorce. 
Maybe it's losing a loved one. There are a lot of trials in life. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. He's not saying jump up and down because, oh, here's another fun, difficult life experience. But there's a bigger picture, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, it's not like it's instant joy because you're having a difficulty. It's that there is something bigger going on that's more important. And God is going to work good. And it may not be 24 hours. What if it's five years or 10 years or 15 years or 50 years that God continues to do his good work because of difficulty that you and I face? I can't say I've always appreciated the trials that I go through. I certainly look, can look back and see that God has uh, grown me as a follower of Christ and made me a wiser person or a more patient person or a more caring person because of struggle. Verse 14, suffering for Christ brings blessing. Boy, this doesn't seem uh, natural, does it? Uh, it doesn't seem obvious. Suffering for Christ brings blessing. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. By the way, Jesus said you'd be blessed in Matthew 5, 11, and 12. You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. It's so important that we have a biblical perspective about suffering, a theology of suffering. We just tend to zone out on this one. It's, you know, I don't want it. I hope I don't have to go through of it. And therefore, let's just set it aside. Um, now, Peter here is assuming that if you're insulted, it's because of Christ is at work in you. And it's noticeable to the critics around you. And he says, you're blessed. You're in the place of God's favor. You're in the situation where God's grace will rest on you. A place of blessing, a place for good things to happen, for God to work in your situation. Um, a place where you can receive more uh, strength from God. He says the spirit of glory. The, He's referring to the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. But he's saying here that the Spirit shines through you when you suffer for Christ. When you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's like being amplified that God is at work in you. In the book of Acts, uh, if you know the story of Stephen... Uh, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was a godly man in the early church, and he, he was arrested for proclaiming Christ publicly. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 56. Um, when they heard this, they were furious when, when Stephen spoke about Christ, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What was that about? He's just walking with Christ. He's trying to, he's trying to, he's willing to face adversity and uh, they're going to stone him. And Stephen gets a glimpse of heaven. And uh, he's in a place of blessing, even though he's about to die. 
And he's going to experience the power of God and the grace of God to face this. Look, he said, I've seen uh, heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand. And then Acts 7, 59 and 60. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It's a nice way of talking about death for a believer. He was executed. And yet he faced suffering with uh, really the glory of the Holy Spirit. And he honored Christ. I don't know how much pain he felt, but he wasn't worried about himself. He was, he was concerned about those around him, and he, and he focused on Jesus, and he asked Jesus not uh, to hold them, uh, to, 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 be, to uh, not hold the sin against them. Now, you know what? In the book of Acts, thousands of priests came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, priests were the religious guys. They knew the Old Testament. They were the enemy of Jesus a lot in the Gospels. And their leaders were the enemy of Christ. But because of people like Stephen, thousands turned to Jesus Christ. God used it to bring great glory to uh, himself. Um. Verses 15 and 16, suffering for Christ brings honor to God. Suffering for Christ brings honor to God. Look at verse 15. If you suffer, Peter writes, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal criminal or even a meddler. Uh, Peter clarifies the issue of suffering here. There is no place for criminal activity as a follower of Christ. There is no place uh, to bomb an abortion clinic. Peter speaks to this clearly about uh, Christians have no place being arrested as a criminal following uh, Christ, uh, breaking the law. No place to retaliate with violence. No place to operate outside the law as a criminal. And he's even instructing, if somebody um, kills your loved one in persecution... That does not give you the right to go back and kill somebody else. That's what, he's, that's what he's teaching. Verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Um, a biblical perspective on suffering goes against our grain goes against our nature. Suffering for the sake of Christ is a reason to praise God, Peter tells us. Uh, for the good that can come out of it. See, the sad thing is if a Christian gets arrested um, for breaking the law, it's an embarrassment for Christ. And it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a shame. Um, and then he says in verse 16, however, if, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Remember, our point is to develop a biblical perspective on suffering. Develop a biblical theology of suffering. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. I have a lot of favorite verses in the book of Philippians. 
I don't often quote this one. Paul is telling the early church in the first century in the city of Philippi, it's been granted to you, church, to suffer for Christ. Granted a gift to suffer. This is not a part of our experience, is it? There, there was a clear instruction about suffering for the early church because they needed it, because they would go through intense persecution, torture, execution, just like brothers and sisters around the world do today. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, resurrection and the fellowship of the sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So this is Paul. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to experience Christ. I want to be close to Christ. Uh, I want to know the power of his resurrection. You know, the power that raised him from the dead. I want to be a part of that. I want to see God do those kinds of things. I want to see healings. I want to see miracles. I want to see people raised from the dead. And I want to share in his sufferings. He says, I want to identify with Jesus. Jesus suffered. I want to be like Jesus. You know what this is about? This is spiritual formation. That's what we call it. In theology, we call it sanctification. We just say we want to be like Jesus. That's what it means. And we talk about that a lot. We are, if we are following Jesus, we should be conformed to the image of Christ. And... Um, you know, that's what God wants to do in our lives. He's going to whittle away and hammer away and, and lead us and help us grow so that we become more like Jesus. If we're obedient, we're going to become more like Jesus. Let me give you an important clue here. This may not be in your biblical perspective. Suffering is a part of spiritual formation. Suffering is what helps you be like Jesus. We just leave this out of our theology in America. Now, isn't it great that we don't have to experience it? Well, let me say also, that's why we're such spiritual wimps. It is. Because we have a good life. God uses suffering to test us, to refine us, to grow us, and conform us to the image of Christ. Last section, number three, determined to stay the course through suffering. Determined to stay the course through suffering. This is Peter's uh, final instructions. Stay the course. Um, it's not about asking God to take it away. You can ask him, and, and, and Jesus did, and that's okay to ask, but there's no plan necessarily to remove suffering. And it's so important that you and I develop a biblical theology of suffering. Uh, let me tell you, this is important to teach your kids. One of the things we've done in America, American Christianity, is we tell our kids, and, and we buy into this, that we're perfectly safe in the center of the will of God. You ever heard that before? That you're safe in the center of the will of God. Being in the will of God can be dangerous. 
So determined to stay the course through suffering. Verses 17 and 18, judgment starts with God's people first. Judgment starts with God's people first. Look at verse 17. For it is time, Peter writes, for the judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? For those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Um, Peter says it. It's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. You know, this is just kind of the nature of judgment on earth all through history. It begins with God's people first. Um, Peter will be facing a kind of judgment. It, by the way, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was prophesied in the book of Daniel that there there. Um, that Jerusalem would be destroyed, that the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. And Peter was living during the, uh, just a few years before this would all come about. And Rome would turn against Christians, and Rome would turn against Jewish people and just begin to annihilate them. And that's what happened to uh, Paul. It's what happened to Peter. It's what happened to all of the apostles except John. And um, they suffered dearly. 70 A.D., the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed by the Romans. And it began with the people of God. Not because the people of God were being disciplined uh, because they had done something wrong or bad. But they, had, they, they were alive when these things happened and they experienced the difficulty and the pain that went with some of these things. Um, in a more relevant for us, John 15:2, Jesus puts it this way. He's speaking of uh, the vine and the branches. And uh, he's, he talks about the Father, verse 2. He says, he cuts off every branch in me. We are the branches, and Jesus is the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. And God is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. And uh, he comes to those who are followers of Christ. And he prunes them. He snips our lives a little bit. So that why? So that we will be more fruitful. So that we depend on God more. Just like, you know, we have a couple of roses right in the front of our house. And it just overflows with roses and they just fall to the ground. You know what we do? We clip them off. You know what happens? The thing grows faster. And we get more roses. It's the same thing with, uh, with grapes and va- grapevines. And you trim them and they produce more grapes, more fruit. And Jesus says the Father does that with us. And it's not always, it's not always a feel-good experience when we get pruned. It's not because we're bad. It's because the Father is looking for more fruit because we have to rely on him and we have to get our life from him. You know, an economic downturn can be a pruning because we have to make sure we're not focusing on our material things. And are we relying on uh, the one who gives us life? And we, we, we find out what's really important to us. In Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45, Jesus said this, But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute, that you may be sons of the Father. And here's what I wanted you to see. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So what's, what's that about? Well, 
the sun rises on the good and the evil. And famine can happen to the good and the evil. And the rain descends on the righteous and the unrighteous. And torrential downpours can descend on the righteous and the unrighteous. And floods happen on the righteous and the unrighteous. So if you experience a famine or a flood and you're a follower of Christ, you're going to suffer a little bit. You're going to go through trials and difficulties. And God uses those uh, for good. Matthew 26, uh, Matthew 24, verses 6 through 10. This is uh, Jesus talking about the end times to his disciples. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Next verse. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains, pain, pain. That's what he's talking about. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. He's talking about the end times. But what is he saying? They're going to be people who are followers of Jesus who experience famine and earthquakes and go through wars. They're going to suffer, some of those people. And God can take that and use it for his good. Um, and, and Peter is saying, don't be surprised, be ready for it. God can use it for good. Last verse, verse 19, and trust yourself into God's hands through suffering. He says in verse 19, so then those who are suffering according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So what about suffering? What's Peter's advice? Continue to do good. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. Continue to do good. Stay the course. Continue to honor God with your life, your speech, and your thought life. Don't be surprised. Consider it an honor to suffer Christ. Get ready for it. Commit yourself into the hands of your faithful creator. Jesus did it. Not to do my will, but your will, Jesus said. Commit to doing the Father's will and only the Father's will. Here's the thing. God will give you the grace, the favor to do what he wants you to do. He always will. He always will. He always will. I mentioned it earlier. It's all about having a biblical perspective about suffering. We need to understand it. We need to teach this to our kids. Um. You are not perfectly safe in the center of God's will. Being at the center of God's will is sometimes dangerous. Let me give you an example. Um, March 15th, 2004, five U.S. missionaries, evangelical Christian missionaries, were shot to death in Iraq. Karen Watson, one of the missionaries, wrote this letter to her pastors before she left. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. 
To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. She goes on in the letter, talks about her funeral service and what she hoped the pastor would do. And then at the end, she says, I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too, the two pastors, and my church family. In his care, shalom, and she signed it, Karen. Peter would say, don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised. And it's, can we do what Jesus did? Not my will, but your will. Let's stand and pray. Father, I just um, I come to a passage like this, and um, I just acknowledge I haven't lived it. I haven't suffered like my brothers and sisters in Christ. I understand trials, and I understand testing, and I understand how we can be refined. But God, I also know that you've wanted your people throughout the ages to be ready for suffering. There may come a time in our country that we will be called to suffer. There may be times that our kids, uh, as they follow Jesus, want to step into a very difficult and dark environment for the sake of following you. And God, may may we be encouragers. May we be willing to do whatever you want us to do. Lord, help us to stop and think and to reflect. Are we willing to suffer if you lead us into that and if you lead lead us through it? Are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to do and are we willing to be whatever you want us to be and to do whatever you want us to do? Can we say yes? May we not take this lightly, even if we need to take time to process it. For Jesus' sake, amen.